Amen. Thank you so much, Children's Choir. We are glad to be here. We're rejoicing in the Lord on this friend day. Uh, one of my favorite days of the year. We're glad that you're here. Uh, if you're visiting today, make yourself at home. We're so glad that you are worshiping with us. Take your hymn book there. Uh, turn to number four. And we're going to stand up and sing out to God be the glory. Great things he hath done. And today is all about God and his glory and his honor. So as we stand up, we'll encourage you to sing out all three verses. Hymn number four. Hymn number four. Let's stand and sing hymn number four.
would you remain standing? Thank you so much, boys and girls, for ministering to us. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, the Bible, if you open it up to the very first book, uh, Genesis, if you didn't bring one, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you or or quite near you. And uh, the very first book, uh, Genesis chapter 18, will be there the majority of our time. We will be in chapter 19 a little bit uh, here today. But Genesis chapter 18... Pastor Ray Stedman once told a story of a man who attended a Sunday morning church service like we're doing today. And the ushers noticed that he sat down while wearing his hat. And one of the ushers went to this man and said to him, sir, you neglected to remove your hat. The man said, thank you, but I prefer to keep my hat on. And he kept his hat on during the service. 
Well, the people behind this man, they had to kind of squeeze together to be able to see. And one of the churchgoers there kind of tapped him on the shoulder and and pointed to the hat. And the man turned and, and smiled and left the hat firmly in place. Well, up on the platform, the preacher's up there to preach and he noticed the man with the hat on. In fact, he found it quite distracting. This man was wearing a hat in church and a couple of times he was so distracted that he lost his place while he was preaching and had to kind of regather his thoughts. Well, following the service that Sunday, the preacher's back at the back and and he's uh, shaking hands and as people are filing out the door. And and finally, this man who was wearing his hat still came and and stuck his hand out and, and shook the preacher's hand and said, fine sermon, pastor. Uh, thank you, the preacher said. Then he added, you're welcome in our church. But in the future, this is what the preacher said, but in the future, I hope you'll respect the decorum of our church and our worship by removing your hat. Well, this man smiled and he said, thank you. But he said, the fact is, I'm not a visitor to this church. I've been attending every Sunday for three years. But in all that time, no one has ever spoken to me. And after going unnoticed for three years, I decided to keep my hat on this morning and see what happened. And as a result, I've had the pleasure of speaking with the ushers, with members of the congregation and with you. Because of this hat, people have taken the time to notice me and make me feel welcome. Now, I'm told from that day on, that church was different. That church went out of its way and made it its business to welcome strangers and guests and visitors and folks that maybe they didn't recognize and make them feel welcome. Today is our friend day. I said earlier, I'll say it again, one of my favorite days of the year. A friend day. And whether you're, whether you're here today for the very first time or for the 1500th time, I hope that by now you've been made to feel welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're honored that you're here. We're privileged that you're here. Hospitality is a wonderful thing. And we want to be a people of hospitality. In fact, the Bible has something very interesting to say about hospitality. In the book of Hebrews, here's what it says concerning hospitality. You don't have to turn there, just listen, because we're going to get in Genesis 18 in just a moment. But in Hebrews 13, 2, the Bible says, Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. That's quite a thought. Just entertaining, just uh, welcoming, just serving strangers. Some have unwittingly, some have unknowingly entertained angels, as the King James has angels unawares. We find that happening in our passage today in Genesis chapter 18. Now, right now, we're in the midst of a study of a man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And we've been going basically chapter by chapter and and verse by verse, pretty much looking at what God teaches us concerning himself through his servant, Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And today we're going to pick right up where we left off last time. And we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 18. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can follow along. If not, listen as I read it to you. Genesis chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. 
And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. That's one of the ways they would show hospitality and and welcome people in those days. Verse five says, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. You know, they couldn't go down to the grocery store and buy a loaf of bread. They had to make it from scratch. So she began that. Verse 7, Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man. He hastened to prepare it. So this was not a minute meal. This took some time, but as fast as they could, they prepared the meal. Verse 8 says, so he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Now, these three men that appeared before Abraham that hot day were not just ordinary men. In fact, two of them were angels. And the other was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now think about that. These three men appear. This is Christ before he became a babe in Bethlehem, before all of that. This is what the Bible, the big theological technical term, calls a theophany. That is, he appears there in the form of a man back in the Old Testament. Abraham is 99 years old. His wife, Sarah, is 89 years old. But they hurriedly prepare a feast for their guests. Now, is anything more hospitable? Is anything more welcoming than a meal that's lovingly prepared for you? Now, I ask you again, please stay and eat because we got some folks preparing a meal for you today. But, you know, that's a great way to be welcome. You know, there's some folks just going to feed you. I was talking with a, a couple in our church uh, this past week, and I was talking to one of our members about the fact that the first time I, I visited his mother, that uh, she tried to feed me a meal. And, and, and our member's wife says, yeah, the, 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 her mother was like that, too. And they, they would welcome you. They wanted to feed you and they wanted to give you a meal. And that is a wonderful way to, to, to love on somebody and to welcome somebody. It's not a wonderful experience to share a meal together. And that's what happens here as as they partake of this meal. But let's go back to the story and pick up in verse 9. We find that God is talking here. And it says in uh, uh, verse number 9, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, look at what Sarah was doing. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind them. Can't you kind of see her up against the tent flap, kind of listening to what's going on out there at the the, the meal table? Now, verse 11 says, now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. Remember, he's 99. She is 89. It says Sarah passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah did what you would probably do if you were in her shoes. It says Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, my husband being old also? 
And the Lord said to Abraham, remember, she laughed, it says, within herself. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, I surely bear a child since I am old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Now, just to give you a little background here, Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for a long time, waiting for years to have a promised child. And now the Lord says the time is getting very, very close. And Sarah found the news almost too good to be true. In fact, so much so, she laughed. Listen, beloved, I want you to to catch this. This is more than a story about a crib at the nursing home. This is more than a headline that says a hundred year old man and a 90 year old woman give birth to a healthy, bouncing baby boy. There's more to this story than that. There's a very important truth I want you to catch. You ready? God is a God of grace. God is a God of grace. Not only is his grace displayed in this elderly couple's life, his grace is displayed to us here today. Did you realize that there is grace here in this story that extends to you and to me? Look around. This story is meaningful to everybody here today. When you realize exactly what's taking place. You see, when God called Abraham earlier in his life, in chapter 12, here's what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. Now listen, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth, all of the families, your family, my family, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, preacher, how did that come about? I mean, we read about Abraham and Sarah, this elderly couple, and they're going to have a child. What does that mean to me? Well, we can fast forward a little bit. The the Bible tells us the boy that they had was named Isaac. And Abraham's seed continued through the generations through Isaac until one day a lady named Mary. Now, this is an awesome birth as well, because Mary was a virgin. She'd never known a man. She gave birth to a little boy named Jesus. God in the flesh, the savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us. And anyone and everyone who turns from their sin and places their faith in the Lord Jesus is saved For all eternity. Now, we don't deserve this. It's all because of God's grace. God is a God of grace. But we also notice in this passage, beloved, not only is God a God of grace, and that's a wonderful, remarkable thing, but God is a God of love. God is a God of love. Let's keep reading in chapter 18. Would you find verse 16? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 18, beginning at verse 16, it says, Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. That was the place. And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Can you see these uh, men walking along and, and Abraham's walking with them, kind of seeing them on their way, as you would your guest? 
And the Lord said, notice who's talking here. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they should keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. And the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now, notice verse 20. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done it altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know it. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. So the two angels continue on. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. So now you have the Lord and Abraham standing there. And they have a conversation. I want you to listen carefully. It says in verse 23. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city. Then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now I I am I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five last of the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. It's kind of like a reverse auction, if you will, this prayer, isn't it? It's just keep going down and, and down and down. Verse 29. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Verse 33 says, so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. So Abraham goes home. The Lord departs and the two angels head on to Sodom to see just what is going on. In that city. Now I want you to understand something. God is a holy and just God. God cannot just overlook sin. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was unbelievably vile and wicked and heinous. In fact, you can take some time later on. Won't take the time today because we're focusing on Abraham and his prayer and his faith. But when you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in uh, the next chapter. You'll see that in that place, sodomy, uh, homosexuality, it was all running rampant. In fact, it was so bad, they wanted to know the angels that came in. They wanted to know them in a sexual way. They wanted to abuse them and and to, to harm even the very angels that went in that place. In fact, it was so bad, there were not even ten righteous people in the entire place, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
not only that, there was not only the sin of sodomy and sexual morality and all that. Other sins were running rampant. Ezekiel tells us more about it. It says in Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. They were haughty, committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. It was so bad there that God, in his justice and his holiness, he had to destroy that place. He had to deal with the wickedness there. God had to deal and judge the sin, no matter what kind it was. So maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, preacher. I thought you said a moment ago that God was a God of love. So how can God be a God of love when he destroyed all those people? Well, wait, wait a minute. You, you might have missed something in the passage as we read it. If you go back to verse 21, I want you to see what it says. It says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. By the way, how is that outcry coming to God? How was it? Was it those who were being abused? Were they crying out to God? Uh, whatever it was, it says his outcry was coming out. And if not, I will know it. Now listen, God knows all things. He knows you through and through. He doesn't learn anything. Nothing that he has to study. He knows all. He's all knowing. God didn't have to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to see if it was indeed as evil as he knew it was. But in his mercy and his love, he went down, he sent his messengers themselves to see it, to look around, to see exactly what was going on before he ever judged that place. See, God is a God of love. God does not take delight. Hear me. God does not take delight in the destruction of the wicked and the destruction of those people. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked from uh, turn from his way and live, turn, turn from evil ways. For why should you die? O house of Israel. You see, God loves all people. I learned it this way growing up. Thankfully, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. God loves all people. All different kind of races, all different kind of nationalities, all over what God created all people and he gave his son for all people. They're precious in his sight. And God is very clear in his word. I don't delight in judging sinners. I don't delight in destroying the evil. In fact, second Peter three, nine says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. But is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what God's will is for you today? To come to him. To come to him. First Timothy 2 forces it this way. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But you see, God won't force you. God is a gentleman. He extends his offer of mercy and grace and salvation. He says, whosoever will may come. Come to me. All you who are laboring, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But he won't force you to come. He won't make you come. But he stands ready to welcome you with loving arms. And if you will not come, God doesn't take delight in that. 
God does not take delight in the destruction of those who turn from him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And by the way, that's how you become righteous. We know there was at least one righteous person in Sodom. At least one. His name was Lot. He was Abraham's nephew. How did he become righteous? Just like everybody else, it becomes righteous. It's not by works. It's not because you're a good person or you do good deeds. We become righteous. We become right in God's eyes as we place our faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, how do we know that Lot was righteous? Well, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, 2 Peter 2, 6 through 8. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them as an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot. We, we would be left doubting if God didn't tell us that. Delivered righteous Lot, who oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing and he, he, hearing their lawless deeds. You see, beloved, God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't delight in doing it. You see, God is a God of grace. God is a God of love. But there's one more truth I want you to catch this morning. And that is this. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of mercy. Now, go to chapter 19. We're going to fast forward. Find verse 27. The Bible says in Genesis 19, 27, Abraham went early in the morning. So we're up the next day now. To the place where he stood before the Lord. He just had that prayer with the Lord. We said, Lord, if there's 50, if there's 45, if there's... And he went down to 10. He stopped at 10. He said, Lord, if it's 10. And, and God said, listen, if there's 10 righteous people, I'll spare everybody. Verse 28 says, then he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And toward all the land of the plain. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, watch the sex part, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Listen, because of Abraham's prayer on behalf of his nephew and the city, God sent Lot out of that place and kept him safe. How great and merciful our God is. You see, Lot didn't deserve to be delivered. He didn't. In fact, when the angels went in to deliver him, they had to drag him out. Here's what the Bible says, Genesis 19:16. And while he lingered, the men, that is those angels, took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. They, they didn't want to leave. They lingered and lingered. God's about to pour judgment upon them. So Lot didn't deserve to be delivered. He was a righteous man, yes. But he resisted even God's working, God's deliverance in his life. You see, Lot was blessed by the mercy of God. And by the way, 
We're blessed by the mercy of God. See, we don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve cleansing. Notice I say we don't. I I don't deserve it. There's nothing I've done. I deserve judgment. I deserve condemnation. I don't deserve forgiveness and cleansing in heaven. I deserve condemnation, judgment, and hell. That's what I deserve. Be be careful, beloved, asking for what you got coming to you. Because really what we deserve is hell. But our God is a God of mercy and a God of love and a God of grace. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you know him today? Do you know God today? You see, he desires to save you from sin. Here's the glorious thing about salvation, beloved. It's not just a get out of hell free card. You know, like you play Monopoly. You, you draw that get out of jail free card. Some people think that's what salvation's all about. Oh, I, I've got a get out of hell free card. When I die, I won't go to hell. That's not all there is to salvation. Now, praise God, that's part of it. That's a part of it. It is a deliverance from hell, the lake of fire, that horrible place created for the devil and his cohorts. But you see, not only does he want to deliver us from hell and damnation, he grants us forgiveness and he desires to have fellowship with us. Uh, Just as he came and he sat and feasted with Abraham there, he wants to sit with you. He wants to fellowship with you. Revelation says it this way in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, it says there, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He says it this way in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. You see, he wants to have a relationship with you. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't understand that when I think about myself. Why would God want to have a relationship with me? I was lost. A sinner. A rebel. And yet there came a day. Where through his Holy Spirit, he convicted me of my sin. And as I turned from my sin to faith, he forgave me of my sin. He delivered me from hell. But more than that, he started a relationship with me. He desires fellowship with me. In fact, the Bible says that I'm an heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says Jesus tells me he's gone and he's preparing a place for me in a glorious place called heaven. And one day he's going to come and get me and take me there that I can spend all eternity with him. I don't understand that, but boy, I'm glad for it. And I'm thankful for it. And by the way, God wants that kind of relationship with you. Yes, He'll deliver you from hell. Yes, He'll deliver you from all that. But more than that, beloved, He wants a relationship with you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to walk and talk with you. He wants to dine with you. He wants you to grow and become more like His Son, the Lord 
Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, do you know him? You see, it's a personal relationship. I, I, I can't RSVP for you. You have to come personally, turning from your sin, and you have to personally place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I said to everyone here today, come to the Lord Jesus. Become a child of this great God of mercy, love, and grace. He is waiting for you today with wide open arms saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. This is between you and God. Now I want to ask you just a couple of questions. While your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, what is God the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What is he saying to you? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you died this very moment, do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, you'd open your eyes in heaven? If you don't have that assurance, why don't you come today and receive the Lord Jesus? He died for you. He arose for you. He's waiting for you. Here's what we're going to do. Be very plain with you. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to have a closing hymn. And as we sing that closing hymn, I'm going to be standing right down there in front of this table. If you'd like to know beyond the shadow of a doubt today that you're a child of the King on your way to heaven in a relationship with Christ, I'm going to ask you very clearly, just listen, just step out where you are. Come and take my hand. And what I'm going to do, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm going to take you and place you as someone who knows Jesus, who loves Jesus and loves you. And they're going to give you some counsel. And they're going to lead you to Jesus. It's that simple. So you may have come in here today. With no peace, no rest, no true joy. But you don't have to leave that way. Jesus Christ is waiting for you. So in a moment after I pray and we sing this closing hymn, if you'd like to know Jesus, all you have to do, I want you to step out from where you are, come take my hand, and I'll place you with someone who loves Jesus and loves you. And they'll give you counsel, and they'll lead you to Jesus. It's just that simple. I want to invite you today. Don't linger. Don't wait. If God the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today, when we start singing that first verse, you come meet me at the front. Now, Father, I've done my very best to present you and your gospel. I pray now for every man, woman, boy and girl that does not know Jesus. I pray your Holy Spirit to work in their life. Pray that you give them the courage to step out from where they are. Come and take my hand. And allow me to put them as someone who loves Jesus. And loves them. Lord, I pray that at the conclusion of this service. 
there'll be many more children of the king. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy and your love. We're not worthy of any of them. We're wicked, vile, wretched sinners. Yet you saved us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for desiring a relationship with us. What an awesome thing. Now bless and guide in this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning, 307, Just As I Am. And as we begin to sing, if you'll step out, I'll be right down here. I'll take you by the hand and place you with someone who loves Jesus. Don't wait, don't linger on that very first verse. You come, just as I am. 307, let's stand and sing. You come. Oh.